Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. So open your Bibles with me to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. We're going to look at verse 4. Psalm 25, verse 4. And so we're going to start a new series today called Follow the Path. Say, Follow the Path. And so one of the things we've been leading up to when we ended the Soul War series that I've talked to you about the last month is God has a path for each and every one of us. A path tailor-made for us. And we must follow that path. So Psalm 25 is one of our foundational texts for this series as we begin today. And um, I know we'll start in October, but I think this is probably going to take us through sometime in December. So Psalm 25, verse 4. In the King James, it says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. The New Living Translation says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. The Passion Translation says, Lord, direct me throughout my journey so I can experience your plans for my life. Reveal the life paths that are pleasing to you. This sounds like all of us today, huh? Guide me through my journey. Reveal the life paths you have for me. And so this is the prayer the psalmist is praying, but we skip down to verse 12, and we'll look at it King James today. It says, what man is he that fears or reverences the Lord? Him shall he teach the way he shall choose. If you reverence God, God will teach you the way you should choose. It says, his soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth, the secret of the Lord. So whatever is secret with God, you may think, well, the path God has for me is kind of a secret to me right now. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear or reverence him, and he will show them his covenant. Another translation for showing them the covenant is translated, and his covenant to make them know it. You have a covenant right to know the path God has for you. It is your covenant with God to know the path he designed for you. You're not supposed to guess through this life. You're not supposed to stumble through this life. You're supposed to be able to walk through this life knowing the steps God has for you. Because the steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So it's not, well, maybe, you know, some people try to hopscotch and crisscross and you know, they try to follow God, and they look like some of these modern dance moves. You look like you're one of those characters on Fortnite dancing because you're trying to follow the Spirit. He, the following the Spirit is not guesswork. It's step by step by step. God has a path for you. God has a plan for your life. God wants you to follow the path, and he wants to reveal that path to you more and more clearly every single day. So right now, you may know a little bit, but in a few weeks, you should know some more. By January, you should know even more. Man, 10 years from now, you should be even clearer. Not even foggier. As you walk with God, you should know more. Say, I should know more. Because God has a path for my life. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at verse 11. So today I'm just going to sit with you, talk with you about a few things, and drink my coffee and share the word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I was at a conference earlier this week, and I was talking to some people. I said, I think my congregation likes a caffeinated preacher because they keep giving me Starbucks gift cards. <laughs> so I think they like me caffeinated. <laughs> I remember at Starbucks when they made the blonde espresso, and I was asking the barista, what's the difference? They said, well, Carrick, let's say your sermon will go a lot faster today. I'm like, ah, gotcha. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the ministry gifts are given to mature the saints for the work of the ministry. So the work of the ministry is not just done by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's done by the body of Christ as a whole. And for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. Knowing this is unity, not uniformity. So, you know, 
as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, we may not agree on everything. But it doesn't say we have to agree on everything. It just says we have to be one. See, husband and wife, you may not agree with everything, but you're still one. And so we have brothers and sisters in different denominations all across the body of Christ. There's some things we are going to disagree on. But we believe in Jesus. We believe he's coming back again. Some of us believe he's coming sooner than others. But we're one. We're becoming more and more one every single day. And so be on guard for anything that tries to destroy unity. Satan will love to tear up unity. So don't fall for the trap. Oh, we're going to election season. Don't fall into the trap. People are going to say ignorant things. I don't even have a prophetic word on that. People are going to be ignorant. So don't fall into strife. Don't fall into division. Just expect it. Forgive people in advance. Say, I forgive the Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, all politicians in advance. See, there you go. Practice forgiveness. So when you really have to forgive someone, you're like, ooh, I've practiced that. I'm ready to do that. And the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature grown-up man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what we're growing to. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. As we grow, we're not going to be tricked by every new thing that comes out. It's like, ooh, it's new. It has to be God. Not necessarily. But as we grow in the word, we know right from wrong. We can tell, yep, that's from God. Nope, that's from man. That's from the enemy. From whom the whole body, say whole body. Fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. So every joint of the body has a supply. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of the building of itself in love. So there is the universal body of Christ. There is the Catholic body of Christ. The word Catholic actually means universal. We're not talking about denomination here. We're talking about the universal body of Christ. Everybody who's named the name of Jesus, who is born again, who is saved, who God lives on the inside of, is part of the universal body of Christ. But in the universal body of Christ is made up of local church bodies. And every local church body that God has ordained, he has given a pastor. It is the will of God for every believer to have a pastor. It is the will of God for every believer to have a church family. It is the will of God for every believer to have a pastor and a church family. God has not called us to be lone wolves, individual sheep out here on our own. I'm aware of any post, any teaching, any doctrine that says you don't need to go to church anymore. Because the further you put people away from going to church, the more you isolate them from their family of believers, and it's easier for Satan to pick them off. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15 says, And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So one of the jobs of the pastor is to feed you spiritually with knowledge and understanding. The knowledge and understanding God gives to the pastor is crucial for the path that God has called believers to walk in. The knowledge and understanding shared by the Holy Spirit through your pastor will help you follow the path God has for you. So that's why it is vitally important that you're in the right church. Because people leave churches for all types of reasons. A lot of them not good reasons. But the thing is, if you leave a church and God didn't tell you to leave, you're still responsible for everything that man or woman of God says through that pulpit. And you'll wonder, I've been praying to God for answers. Where's my answer? It's in the mouth of the man or woman of God he assigned you to. So that's why being in the right church is a matter of life and death. Now, some people leave churches for right reasons. There are people who move across the country. What God has called them to do is in another state or another country. Now, they're not rebelling against God by moving. God does bring people in, and at times he does send them out. Amen? 
So don't go extreme with this. Oh, if anybody leaves the church, they're in rebellion against God. No. There are some people who are here for a time, and then God sends them to do something else. But it's God who does it, not them. Some people come into church for two months and say, God has called me to be here. Two months later, nope, God's called me somewhere else. That doesn't sound like God. Amen? Because then they say, well, God changed his mind. I, I, what? He did who? So God will assign you to the church he wants you to be a part of. Because what he wants to get you, one of the ways he'll give it to you, is through your pastor. The times I'll get up to preach, I have my notes that I tend to follow, but I'll prepare, I'll study, then I'll get up here, and like, well, if I get to my notes, I'll get to them. If not, Holy Ghost, do whatever you want. And there are things that'll come out of my mouth I had never planned to say. But people say, oh, what you said was exactly what I needed to hear. And he's like, well, did you plan to say it? No. It's almost like, well, what do you say? I don't know. What did I say? Oh, I said, oh, that was good. That was real good. Let me write that down for myself. But what is it? They were submitted to the office of their pastor, and they came in faith, and God said something to them that they needed. So you cannot successfully walk the path that God has for you without a pastor and without a church family. God has not called us to be lone sheep, and God has not called us to be islands. We need each other. See, Psalm 68 verse 6 says, God sets the solitary or the lonely in families. Notice who does it? God does it. And so we have people who move to Atlanta all the time. The stat a couple years ago was 5,000 people move into the metro Atlanta area every single month. That's a lot of people. And so when we have first-time guests who don't have a church home to move in, what do I encourage them? I said, yes, take some time and look at different churches and pray about it. And follow the witness in your heart. God does have a church for you. Because God puts the lonely in families. There is a family of faith for every single believer. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. To follow the path God has for your life, you have to be in the right church with your pastor. Because there's some things about your path that you won't know from your personal prayer time. Because God, in his sovereignty and his wisdom, said, I'm going to sell it through your pastor. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the profession and the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. Let's stop there. God is faithful. Man, isn't that such good news? God is faithful. When we've been faithless, God has been faithful. And I just did a podcast I released this week called God Will Never Ghost You. And see, there's a phrase right now for people who are dating, they're online, then, you know, there'll be tech, people be texting them up a storm or DMing them, and they're talking back and forth, back and forth, and that one person just stops talking to them. Days go by, weeks go by, months go by. They said they ghosted them. God will never ghost you. He said, well, pastor, I've done too many bad things. No, God will never ghost you. He said, well, you don't know what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter to me what you did yesterday, and it doesn't matter to God because once you repent and get that cleaned up, it doesn't exist anymore. God will never ghost you. He's been faithful even when you've been faithless. So since he is faithful, let's live faithful ourselves. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You know, there's the one another principle you see all throughout the New Testament, that we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the things is we provoke unto love. So we encourage, we poke, we prod people, walk in love. And so, that, you know, you see them, it's like, was, was that really love? Doesn't mean you have to call them out publicly. If you have a personal relationship, was that really walking in love? Or we encourage others to do good works. And some simple good works are exercise. Sometimes you have to encourage your brothers and sisters to exercise. Oh, I got quiet in this church. One of the things Minister Kirk can admit that every Tuesday at least, one of the first things I ask him, hey, you hit the gym this morning. How many push-ups did you do this morning? One of these days we walked into the accountant's office and we did our push-up morning, uh, morning push-up regimen together. Why? We need to be healthy. 
You know, Brother Copeland, prophet of God, he turns 83 in December. He does what? I was with him the other day. He does what? He, about up to 120 push-ups every day. He said, I don't do them in a row. He might take a break in between. He said, then I'll be on the treadmill for 30 minutes. Then I found out he can plank for three minutes. I can't plank for three minutes. You know, the way my abs are set up right now, I can't plank for no three minutes. But he's setting the stones like, you know, I'm in my 80s, but I'm going to live healthy. And so I saw them, they're interviewing Dr. Bill Winston the other day, and they says, well, we heard Brother Copeland, though, he came up here and he did 20 push-ups. And so you know what Bill Winston did? He took off his jacket and did 20 push-ups right there. What is, we have to be healthy. So sometimes you have to encourage other people to be healthy. What is that accountability? Come on, do you really need to be eating that today? Come on, you know Thanksgiving is coming up. You know what you're going to do on Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. You know, I know some people, they're already on diets, not because they want to lose weight. They just want to counter the balance of what Thanksgiving week's going to be. Sounds like, hey, man, that's me, Pastor. You better testify. But we have to encourage people to do good works. Encourage each other. Are you making the wisest decision? You have to be accountable to one another. We actually have to act like brothers and sisters of Christ who love each other. We help each other. We're not called to do this by ourselves. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, you need me. Look at your other neighbor and say, oh, no, you really need me. <laughs> we need each other. And you know one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ? We all come from different backgrounds. We all think different. This is unity, not uniformity. And because we're different, we'll see things from a different angle that you, the other person may not be able to see it from. See, what's beautiful about being part of a family where everybody is different, someone can see your blind spots. <laughs> the spot that you can't see, maybe a brother and sister in Christ you're called to be in a relationship with here can see it and say, hey, you're missing that area. We're called to do this life together. So that's why, you know, we don't just come into church and leave out quickly. Like, I got the word, praise God, I'm out. No. <laughs> say hi to somebody. Well, I'm hungry. We are hungry. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> They're rushing to food. You're rushing to food. Why don't y'all rush to food together? Because it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. We're supposed to assemble together. Where the body of Christ is concerned, some assembly is required. <laughs> you can't do this by yourself. Well, pastor, I'll watch online. Thank God for being online. Now, a lot of you know me. I am a techie. I believe in innovation. I believe in using technology to get the gospel out. But it's for a purpose. It should not substitute you coming to the house of God. Now, one of the reasons I have it available, when it first became available, we didn't have the tech within our church to do it. What the most up-to-date technology I had was my iPhone then. I think it was like an iPhone 6 or something. So I gave it to one of our teenagers and said, point it at me and hit live. And that's how we started our Facebook Live broadcast about four years ago. Thank God we've been able to update it, and we have cameras, and it looks amazing online now. But one of the reasons we provide it, because we understand not everybody has Sundays off. You know, they're believing for it, but not everybody has Sundays off. So there's a lot of people watch, uh, who are, have certain jobs and they can watch me online while they're at work. Hey guys, love y'all. And some people, because they work, they'll watch me immediately when it's done. One of the things also we do online, there are people who are watching us all around the world. I get messages from people in Europe and in Africa. They're watching us being encouraged. There are pastors who watch us other places that after they preach, they tune, on, tune in and listen to us. And so we have that for that outreach as well. But also, because one of the things I know about this congregation, we are a traveling congregation. A lot of us have jobs that travel. And even as you travel, you can still be with your faith family. You can still get the word so you don't miss out. So one of the reasons we provide online is if there's a reason you can't make it, you can still get the word. And there are some people who are younger in their Christian walk. You know, they should be in church as often as possible, but they, they're, you know, they're not there yet. We're working on them. But if you provide it online, 
there's a possibility instead of getting the word once a month, they may get it twice a month because they logged onto Facebook. So we're getting the word out there. But for those of you who know better, oh, now you're real quiet. <laughs> Don't use that as a substitute. Get to the house of God as often as possible. If you can make it here every time the church doors are open, then you should be here every time the church doors are open. Amen? Because some assembly is required. And it says, don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? Jesus' return. As you see the signs pointing that Jesus is coming back, come to church more. That's what the writer's saying. Don't say, well, I've been in the Word 40 years. I don't need to come to church. No. Because the thing is, we have to get out of this mentality of just coming to church to get something. We are, a lot of us are Americans, and we have the consumer mentality, but we're not supposed to bring the consumerism mentality into the house of God. We're not just called to come and get, so, well, I'm coming to get the Word. That's good. That's a part of it. That's the starting point. We have to come to church more than just to get. See, we are to assemble together more as we see Jesus' return approaching because we need each other. As we already read in verse 16, we're a whole body fitly joined together. When you come together, you're coming to church, you have a supply. When you show up, it's not just you showing up. You're showing up with your supply. And as our supplies come together, we increase together in love. See, we cannot grow the way we should without you and without you doing your part. So look at your name and say, hey, we can't grow the way we should without you and you doing your part. Look at your other name and say, that means you too, Jack. You see, one of the things we'll study the Corinthian church, you know, they had some issues, you know, they had some deep issues. But they also had some good things going on. See, Paul talked to them in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He says, how is it, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine or a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto building up. So the one good thing about the Corinthian church, they didn't just come to church to consume. They came to participate. They brought their supply. See, the thing is, even if it's on a Sunday, because I know a lot of you in this room, you serve in Team Faith. Even if a Sunday you're not serving, you know you should still come to church. And even on the Sundays you're not serving, you still have something to give. So what do you mean, give, Pastor? I don't have, I'm not serving. Maybe the person sitting next to you just needs to see you smile. Maybe when you just see someone, when you walk in, walk out, you just encourage them, hey, it's so good to see you today. Maybe the way you said that helped them get closer to breakthrough. That when you're just participating in the experience, you're worshiping and praising God. Someone who sees you identifies with you. But a man, if they can praise and worship God, I can too. That we're not just coming to church to be consumers. We have a part. There's some assembly required. Because see, by ourselves... Which is like my daughter's toys over here. Coming to church, there's some assembling required. By herself, we're this piece, and this piece, and this piece, and this piece. But as we come together, something's happening. We're building, we're becoming stronger. We can do more together because we've come together. See, things happen as we assemble. As we assemble, because remember, Jesus, where two or three of you gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. So as we assemble, Jesus, hey, I'm here too. 
So as we assemble, the power of God comes. As we assemble, all of our supplies come together. As we assemble, things actually happen in the atmosphere. See, there are times God is assembling us to do business. We think, well, we came to get the word. God says, I got you guys together because you're going to pray and handle this assignment. Because as we assemble, we can knock down a rule of darkness that it might have been hard for one of us to do on our own. As we assemble, the community has changed because we've all come together using our faith, believing God together, and the power of God is going out from this place. Something happens as we assemble. And I can't go past with this without saying, Avengers, assemble! Come on! You know, at the end of Endgame, it was just Iron Man and Captain America with his Thor hammer and Thor. There wasn't a lot. Thanos had his whole army. They looked like it was going down. But then those portals began to open. In Bombay. In Bombay. In Bombay. Black Panther came out. Shuri came out. Spider-Man swung out. The Hulk came. All these people began to come in because now we can handle the onslaught of the threat because now we've assembled. We can do more together than we can do by ourselves. So when we assemble, God can gather us and give us what we need so we can go forward and actually make a difference in our community because some assembly is required. And some of you, like me, you grew up watching Power Rangers. And one of the things about Power Rangers, every episode, they get their butt kicked by this monster. Every episode. But when they put their droids together and formed that Megazord, when they assembled, they could take down the threat. We have to assemble. We have to come together. See, assembly is important, and we shouldn't do less just because we can watch church online. There's a lot of things you get from church online. You can get the word. You can receive from the anointing. The Holy Ghost can move through those airways and touch you wherever you're watching the world. You can receive a lot online. But when you assemble, you don't just receive. You're able to give. You're able to participate. There is power when we are assembled. Lives are transformed when we assemble. Just think about it this way. What if you come to church today and the message, you say, well, it was good, but it wasn't talking to me, but it was talking to your neighbor. And the neighbor's really stern. They know they have to answer the altar call, but they're nervous. I do call for, and, you know, they don't respond. But I say, hey, ask your neighbor, and you're the one who asked them. And he brought them to the altar. I don't just get credit for that salvation. You do too. Because you assembled. See, our mission statement is to create an environment where anyone can experience the love of God understand his word, and become a part of a family that radically impacts our communities and the world. We create that atmosphere as we assemble. You know, our motto, we, one of the things we are goalless when we come together, we want people to experience God. We want them to experience his word. We want them to experience his presence. And we want them to experience his love. One of the ways people experience the love of God is through you. Before they even hear me open my mouth, before Minister Dathan or Sister Camilla even lead worship, you greet them and you show them the love of God. They've ran into the love of God way before they ever heard the word of God. Now imagine what that does to someone's heart. They walk into a place. You know, some people, when they come to a new place, some people just bold like, cool, I'm here. Other people are nervous. But your love put them at ease. So before they ever believed, they felt like they belonged. Imagine how easy it is to win someone to Jesus like that. Whenever they come to a place, they already feel like they belong. It's going to help them to believe. You walking in love to the people next to you and loving on them opens their heart to receive the word of God. We believe every time we gather on Sunday and Wednesday and our other times, we will have a life-changing experience with God. So if we really believe, how many believe God moves here? How many believe we actually have experiences? You know, that's why I don't call them services, because our faith is set for experiences. We've seen people healed. We've seen miracle signs. We've seen God do tremendous things as we assemble, right? Then I want to just read you some of these verses. I want to see if you can see a common theme here. Matthew 4, 24, 
and his Jesus fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people, and they were taken with and they that were taken with divers disease and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those who were lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. Matthew eight sixteen, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Matthew nine twenty two. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on the bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. Matthew nine thirty two, and they went out and behold, and they brought unto to him a man dumb man possessed with the devil Matthew 12 22 then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil blind dumb and he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw Matthew 14 35 and when the men of that place had knowledge of him they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased anybody see a common theme they brought who are you bringing to experience God if you really believe this is an experience, that God could change people's lives, who are you bringing? One of the things we see when the gifts of the Spirit begin to move, we're concerned with the word of knowledge and the gifts of healing, and we have that line and people get healed, a lot of times half of them are first-time guests. It's always there waiting for them. Who are you bringing to experience God? You know, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And again, Jesus entered the Capitol after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, and so much there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So they carried him. Four guys carried their friend. And when they could not come near unto Jesus because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. And we know the end of the story. He got up healed and well. So one of the things is they brought him to Jesus. When they brought him, there was a crowd that says, we can't get him to Jesus. But one of them had the bright idea, hey, 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 what if? We climb on the roof. Hey, just listen to me. See, that's why you need at least one crazy faith friend. I got a whole bunch of them. Y'all heard Marcus and Dexter preach last week. Y'all like, man, he got all of them crazy. Yeah, all my friends are crazy. We crazy together. And what if we cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down? But what if we drop him? Well, he's already in bad shape. You can't get much worse. What if we lower him down to Jesus? Then Jesus can get him. Jesus can heal him. And all four of them agreed and carried this grown man onto the roof. And that grown man had to agree because he said, no, y'all ain't not picking me up. Y'all not carrying me on the roof. And y'all not to lower me. See, you look kind of weak. You haven't been doing your lifting. Do you even lift, bro? You might drop me. But they all had faith. And we know that man was healed and set free. So how strong is your want to for your friends to experience Jesus? How strong is it? Well, pastor, I invited them. Well, that's great. Well, I invited them twice. That's good. You stop there? Well, I, I don't want to bug them. They're your friends, aren't they? You bug them for what you really want. So they're going to ask you, so when are you going to stop asking me to come to church? Well, when do you come? If you come one time, I'll never bring it up again. Or other people you know, hey, afterwards, I'll take you out to eat. You just got to wake up a little early, get a free meal on Sunday. And I think, well, that sounds pretty good to me. How strong is your want to to see people delivered? You see, the thing is, I do have a level of influence, and there are people I can bring in. But you have levels of influence in arenas I don't have. You know people I may never meet. And if you don't bring them, they won't get brought. There are some people who will research a good church and they'll Google and they'll come and experience God. But not everybody's like that. There are some people, someone did a poll just off of Americans and said some people who've never gone to church, one of the number one reasons why they've never been to church because they said no one invited me. So there are millions of Americans under impression saying, I can't come to church if someone doesn't bring me. They feel like they have to be invited. It's not true, but that's what they feel like. So you have to do the inviting. You have to bring them. You have to look for people to bring. We have to be bringers. See, a lot of us grew up in revival. See, I grew up in what we call the faith revival, the word of faith revival. And people were just coming because of the word. That's what happens during revivals. 
But the thing is, if we just let the revival bring them, there are people who will miss it. We can't just let the word bring people. We have to be bringers ourselves. We have to listen when we're in the store. You're in Target. You're at Starbucks. You're at the grocery store. You're out and about. You hear someone say, yeah, I just moved to the area. Well, they just moved to the area. They need a good church. So he said, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He said, hey, I know you just moved to the area. I don't know if you have a good church yet. You should meet me at Faith. And you give them information about the church. You hear someone at the store having a rough day. He said, hey, you know, can I pray for you? And you know what helps me on my rough days? The church I go to. You're looking for opportunities to become a bringer. We all have to be bringers. Amen? We must be bringers. Then we must be connectors. So what do you mean, Pastor? After we brought people, so you're in church, you see someone who's new, you see a first-time guest, someone you don't recognize, introduce yourself. Help them get connected to the ministry. Help answer their questions. Say, hey, well, you've been coming for a while. Hey, do you serve anywhere? Are you on Team Faith or not? Man, you should join my team. Oh, you like to do this? Well, you really like being a part of that team. Help connect people. Because one of the reasons people stay grounded in the word and faith is not just because of God, even though that should be the main reason. A lot of people, until they grow to that point, they stay grounded in the word because of their connection to people. So you have to connect with people. So, Pastor, I'm an introvert. Well, all the inside of your introverted self is Jesus. So reach through that introversion and touch the love of God. Because maybe you're reaching out to another introvert. And the way you reach out is the way they need to hear. We have to be bringers and we have to be connectors. The path God has for you is greatly connected to the church he has called you to and the pastor he has given you. So let's go to Psalm 133, verse 1. Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. One of the things you learn about the anointing here is the anointing, the empowerment of God, flows. So the anointing that God places on a pastor flows down to the rest of the congregation. So the thing is, the anointing that I'm anointed with is not for me. It's actually for you. And the thing is, God anointed me for you when I was 13. And told me about it when I was 17, because I grew up in this church. And see, the thing is, even though, you know, a lot of my family have served in these positions before, a lot, we didn't talk about it that God had called me to pastor this church. Richard told me years later, after I was already pastoring this church, because, you know, when you're a little guy running around the church, the Holy Ghost stopped me and said, one day he'll pastor this church. I was a seven, eight-year-old running around having fun with my friends, but the Holy Ghost had a plan. And so I stand in the office of the pastor and the office of the teacher. We look at those offices in Ephesians chapter 4. But I also stand in other offices. And so the anointing that's on me as pastor and teacher and in the other office I stand in, the other supernatural equipment God has given me to fulfill the path he has for me, that anointing doesn't just stay with me. It flows to every member of this congregation, every single person that's a part of this body of believers. The anointing flows. But if you're not connected, if you're just doing things on your own, you're like, oh, I'll come to church every once in a while. I'll come to church on Easter. I'll participate. Then, as the anointing is poured out, you miss it because you're not connected, because you don't assemble, because you don't participate. 
And see, this anointing is not just for spiritual things in church. It's for your everyday life. That you take the anointing, the grace of God, that's on my life, to every arena you walk in. See, Paul said in Philippians 1, 3, says, I thank my God for every, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. For your fellowship, that means partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul started this church, and he says, and you are partners with me. Then he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think of this of you all, because you ha I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. That word partaker means joint partner. We know some of the 19 definitions of grace is the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit. So whatever church God calls you to be a part of, you're a partaker of the grace that's on that pastor. I'm not graced for myself. I'm graced for you. I'm anointed for you. So yes, that makes a difference on the Sunday and the Wednesdays when you gather, but whatever is on me flows to you. So, Pastor, does that mean that I should just go and stand up and preach the gospel? No, not necessarily. What that means is you need to take that anointing and that grace throughout your life. See, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes to Philippians 4, verse 14. says, notwithstanding, you have done well that you did communicate with me in my trouble. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from you in Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, that's the next city you went to, you sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul did there. He started saying, you're a partaker of my grace. You are a partner with me. You are a joint partner with me. And he's ending the book saying, my God will meet your needs. Or in other words, the same way God meets my needs, he's now going to meet your needs because you are a partaker and a partner with me. So their parting with Paul has now affected the financial area of life or any area where there was a need. Hebrews 13, 17 is talking about pastors. It says, obey them. The word obey means to allow to be persuaded. Listen, yield, comply to them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. This word submit is not, this word for submit in the Greek is not used a lot in the New Testament. It means to resist no longer. It means to yield. Resist no longer and yield yourselves to those that have the spiritual rule over you, for they watch for your souls. One of the things I shared on Wednesday, God assigns ministry gifts as watchmen. The job of the pastor includes that as of a watchman. They pray from a watching point, but also speak God's words as warnings as a watchman as well. So there's some things God will say through messages that is a warning to you about danger ahead, and that if you're here to hear the word, you'll know how to avoid that danger. But also, some things I learned about watchmen this week is they are set to announce the new day. That's what they did in ancient times. They announced the new day. So there are times God will give pastors prophetic words for their congregations to announce new days. And one of the things the Lord has been having me say over the last couple of months, especially for you and a few others, that we're entering into a season of open doors. We're entering into a season of dreams coming to pass and visions being fulfilled. That's what we're entering into. It's going to be a time of great change. So one of my jobs as a pastor is to announce new days to you so that you know the days you're walking into. Then he goes on and says, they watch for your souls and they must give an account. I will stand before God and give an account of how I was as a pastor. That they may do it with joy. Just the writer is saying that they may give an account for them being a pastor with joy, with celebration, not with grief. That word grief actually means with sighing or groaning. So God's going to talk to some pastors, so 
Now give me account for you being a pastor. <sighs> Become like Moses. God, you know your people. You, you read the book of Exodus, that's what Moses going back and forth. Moses said, God, your people. And God said, Moses, your people. And Moses goes back, God, did I nurse them? Did I carry them out of Egypt on my wings? That's never what, you never want God and pastor, your pastor to have a conversation like that about you. Because if anybody should be on your side, it should be God and your pastor. Not them arguing, well, that's yours. No, 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 that's yours. No, 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 that's yours. No, 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 that's yours. The writer goes on and says, for it is unprofitable for you. So yes, unprofitable here means not producing profit, but also I looked at this interesting definition I saw last night. It means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual, subtle way. That if you're not submitting and yielding and partnering with what God has called you to be a part of, where it concerns your local church and pastor, is that it has a harmful effect on you in a gradual, subtle way. Which means most people won't realize the effect of not being in the right church until it's too late. They won't know it because it's gradual, it's subtle, it's slow. And then something happens. And then whoa, 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 what happened? What happened? What happened? They weren't where the oil was being poured out. They weren't connected. They hadn't assembled. So the more you yield, the more grace you receive. The more you yield, the more grace you receive. The more you receive, the more profitable being a part of the church becomes to you. Because if you yield a little, get, you get a little grace, and you get a little profit. And I'm not just talking about financial profit, I'm talking about profit in any area of your life. But the more grace you receive, the more benefit you receive from being part of the church. And I'm not talking about rules or policies I have for the church, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about supernatural benefits that God himself connects you with, that makes a difference in your everyday life. So ways to yield, summing up because I didn't wrap those up, ways to yield. Praying for your pastor in your church. You should pray for me and pray for your church family every day. Assembling together as often as possible. I understand there's a lot of people have to work on Sundays. You have to travel. I get it. I'm not saying if you have to work on Sunday, you are a heathen and you will not receive any grace. I'm not saying that. Well, I went on a family vacation. I missed Sunday. Oh, there's no grace for me. I didn't say that either. I'm going on a family vacation. I'm going to miss a Sunday. But we need to make sure those things are not the rule, but the exception to the rule. That yes, I do expect y'all to take vacations with your family. Go, enjoy yourselves. And when you come back, come to the house of God. There are times you're going to have to miss for work, but while you're missing for work, set your faith that you receive a promotion and better pay, and you don't have to work on Sundays. That's what you do in the meantime. Amen? So don't be under condemnation. It's just if you know you can get to the house of God, get to the house of God. Because especially if you have kids, whatever you're doing, you're training them. Because if you just go to church when you feel like it, that's what they're going to do. If you just say, well, I'm too tired to go to church today, they're going to be too tired to go to church for their life. So simple, together as often as possible. Hearing and doing the word priest. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word tithing and giving offerings. Now, some of you might say, well, pastor, I can't afford to tithe. He's like, you know, I have this situation where if I give what my tithe is, I can't even feed my family. Are you saying that if I don't tithe, I'll be cursed and I won't receive grace from being part of the church? No. Here's what I taught you earlier this year, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Tithing may be for you a process. You may not be able to give the 10% off your gross today. A lot of you are, but some of you can't. So what do you do? Look what you can give. Call it holy. Set apart. Put it aside. Say, God, this belongs to you. And I set my faith to one day be able to give you my full 10%. Now, in the meantime, you don't let anything happen to that what you set aside. It may just be 1%, but you don't let anything happen to that. But you keep talking to God every time you present it to God. says, God, I believe that I'm going to be able to tithe fully. 
and then one day you'll get there. And when you get there, don't say, well, I'll spend on something else. No, you keep your vow to God. You keep your vows to God. You don't disavow your vows to God. That's dangerous stuff. Don't do that. But you make that promise to God, and as you grow, that's where you get there. See, I'm not preaching condemnation. I'm telling you how to grow to that point. So tithes and offerings. What's the offering? Anything above your tithe. Serving and volunteering. See, the people who said amen are the people who serve and volunteer. Because some of them said amen, and some of them looked at me, you're teaching good, pastor. But that's part of ways you yield. Serve, volunteer, so pastor. He says, well, I look around the different teams. I don't know if that's something that fits me. Well, find something that fits you. We got people who serve in very creative ways because that's how they're gifted. They've been trained in corporate America, and they help us with stuff during the week. If you can't find a team to serve on, talk to one of my team leads and say, hey, this is where I'm gifted, and I just want to help. And that's one of the ways you can help, serving and volunteering. Being a blessing to your church. God may bring on your heart and say, you know what, I just want to bless the church with this. I just want to help with this. You know, there are people who's like, you know what, that, that church staff's been working hard. Let me feed them. And that blesses them. You know, because not only is the church a bunch of foodies, my staff is a bunch of foodies. <laughs> they really are. I remember somebody came to me and said, Pastor, did you call a fast? I was like, what do you mean? So I walked to the office and it seems like everybody's, you know, drinking vegetable smoothies and drinking real healthy. Did you call something? No, I said, Thanksgiving's coming up. They're just preparing. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration, guys. But God may lay on heart to be a blessing to the church. You may just have a free day. says, hey, is there anything I can help around the church today? God just moves on your heart to be a blessing and be a blessing. Now, I didn't say you have to be here seven days a week. I didn't say you had to be here 24-7. I do not have a bed for you here. <laughs> but be connected. Be involved. And if God moves on your heart to do more, do more. Amen? Have a heart for the house. Form relationships with people at the church. Get to know your brothers and sisters here. Don't just make it mad dash. When we do the final blessing, just don't just go, I'm gone. No, say hi to somebody. And you know I'm in the lobby, so I'll be watching. Say hi. Introduce yourself. Get to know other brothers and sisters here. Get connected. And bring people to church. Now, since you have received the grace, you must acknowledge it and put it to work. So now you leave here, you're a partaker of my grace, but you got to work that grace. See, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all, or I worked everybody. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So Paul said, when I went to work, the grace was working through me. So when you go to work this week, the grace that's on my life is working with you and working through you. So you have to acknowledge that grace. You have to talk about it in the morning. That same anointing that's on my pastor, the same anointing that's on my church, the same grace that God has given to my church, it's on me today, and it's going to help me in everything I have to do. So whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you are a CEO, whether you are a teacher, whether you are an entrepreneur, whatever you do, there's grace on you for it. There's favor on you for it. So acknowledge it. Some of you drive Uber, you do different things. Acknowledge that grace that creates such an experience in here and let that experience be in your car. Let people get in your car and they sense the presence of God. And not only are their lives transformed, they just want to be a blessing for you and give you the best tip of your life. Acknowledge that grace. Acknowledge that anointing. And then work under the anointing. Hustle under the grace of God. God expects us to apply ourselves. God expects us to work hard. Faith is not a substitute for hard work. Faith and laziness do not mix. God expects you to apply yourself. God expects you to work hard. God expects you to put into the effort. And as you put in the effort, he puts his super on your natural, and then your effort goes farther than you think it could. And then you start having God ideas, concepts, and insights. You start having insights and situations. You solve the problems. So now every time there's a problem in the company, they come to you. Why? Because you keep solving it. And if you keep solving it, they like to keep you around. 
because you have the grace. You have the anointing. And see, the thing is, an individual believer, you're already anointed. But you get another portion of that anointing because of the church you're connected to. So Mark chapter 6, and because of the sake of time, I'm going to have to sum it up. Jesus pulled his disciples away because they had been out ministering. He wanted them to help. He said, come and rest a while with me. Come and recover yourselves. And we talked about that earlier in the summer. And then as they had gathered, the people found out Jesus was there. And tens of thousands of people gathered as well. And Jesus looked at them, and it says in Mark chapter 6, he saw them lost and disheveled, looking like sheep with no shepherd. He saw the condition of their lives, and it's because they didn't have a shepherd or they didn't have a pastor. So so Jesus sat down and taught them many things. So what did Jesus become? A pastor. See, Jesus stood in all five, stood in all five offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So Mark chapter 6 is an example of Jesus operating in the office of the pastor. And when he finished teaching, the disciples said, send them home because we're hungry. I mean, the people are hungry. And it says, all we have is this lunchable. These pieces of bread and these anchovies. That's all we got. And Jesus said, bring it here to me. He lifted to God, gave thanks, and blessed it, and gave it to his disciples. And then he gave it to the people who he had taught the word to. And in the hands of the people, the fish and the bread multiplied. So although Jesus blessed it, the miracle didn't happen in the hands of Jesus, technically. It didn't even happen in the hands of his staff because the staff wasn't listening to the message. They were hungry. They're trying to figure out how to feed people and how to get the people to go. But the people who received it had faith for a miracle. And then in their hands, it multiplied because of the grace that was on their pastor. And as their pastor taught them the word, they had faith for a miracle, and whatever was in their hands began to multiply. That is the anointing of the pastor because the pastor, the shepherd, is anointed for the sheep. The anointing on the shepherd is to help the sheep multiply. So whatever in your life that needs multiplication, there's an anointing on my life to help you do it. And so there are times where people request me to bless their new homes, I do that, or bless their new business, I do that. They request, call, and I'll go and do it. There are times during the experience I'll be led to lay hands on certain people for certain things. And I'll do it. I remember one couple, they said, Pastor, every time you call us out and lay hands on us in church, something good happens right afterwards. So they're like, anytime the Holy Ghost says it, come on, we are right here, go ahead. And there are times he'll lead me to lay hands on the whole church as individuals. I was sitting at lunch on Friday, and he told me to do it. So when we dismiss in a few moments, if you want me to, you're part of this faith family, I'm going to lay hands on you. And I believe an even greater impartation of the graces on my life is going to come on you and help you wherever you need it. So whether it's healing, you got it. Whether you need prosperity, you got it. Wisdom, insight, favor, creativity, you got it. Whatever grace is on me is going to flow into you in a greater measure. But remember, the more you yield, the more you receive. So some of you already know this is where I want the grace to go. So when you come up, you believe for that grace to hit that area. Because even grace comes with angelic assistance. So you just believe God for that. Because the thing is, as I'm about to announce you these two new things of what we're about to do, it's going to take more anointing and more grace to do it. So that means the grace that's on us is about to increase. That means on you is going to increase as well. So I read the mission statement, and it's the mission statement we do every Sunday, every Wednesday that helps us fulfill our vision statement. Our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And the first announcement has to do with the first part of the vision statement. And so a number of years ago, I, drove, I looked at the area, I looked at doing something in that area, but it didn't work out that way. And you know, I was driving through that same area in May with my wife. We had just visited a couple in the hospital, and we're driving through the area. I looked at my wife, I said, you know, about five years ago, I thought about doing something in the area, it didn't pan out, but maybe one day, I'll open up a campus in that area. And we just, it was like 30 seconds. Kept going. Went to our Word of Faith convention was there, and the Holy Ghost was saying something through Mark and Trina Hankins. I didn't hear it. I had my little baby with me, and she was 
being a little baby, so I didn't hear what the Holy Ghost said. I heard it later. And it was about new vision and God adding to you. And then I preached for Pastor Andre that Sunday at FX Church, and they meet in the Detroit Music Hall. Some of you have seen that picture in Detroit with the Stevie Wonder on the back of the building. They, that's where their church is. And so I preached for them. People got saved. People got healed. And after that, I started my vacation. And so when I went on vacation, every day I had a thought about opening another campus in that area. It came to me every single day. And after about a week and a half, I was like, well, maybe I should be spiritual and pray about that and see if that's Jesus. So I took some time to pray. I said, well, this is the Lord. And I checked with the other people who I'm in a relationship with. They said, yeah, that bears witness to our heart. Yeah, that's God. That's God. And I was like, well, let's begin to work it out. So before I even got back from vacation, I said, God, I agree. I believe this. You tell me to do it. I'm going to do it. And so when I got back to the office, I'm also a person. I have stats. So I looked at all the statistics, and I understood one of the reasonings why the Holy Ghost wants me to do it. And so we got closer, began to do research. I met with my teams, and I began to look for a place to go. And so today I'm announcing to the congregation on January 5th, we'll open our first satellite campus in Marietta Square. We'll be meeting in the new Marietta Theater in the square. It is right off the square. So we've signed the agreement with that theater company, thank God for them. But also one of the things is because we roll it out, we're gonna roll out right. So we're gonna start with meeting that not that question just once a month. Sunday evenings at 6 p.m., once a month. So well, Pastor, when will it increase? When the demand increases. So if the demand doesn't increase, we're not going to every week. So when it does, we will. If we have to back up, we'll back up. I don't believe we will, but if we have to, that's what we do. But as the demand increases, we'll increase it. And so starting on January 5th at 6 p.m., we're going to have our first experience in Marietta Square. And when I walked into that building, I think it was in July, and I walked in, it felt like I, literally I walked into the favor of God. It just felt right. And some of the things that are already transpiring to set up for it is just all you can describe as, man, that's God. So that's our first satellite campus. And I was just leading prayer the other, the other month. I'm like, it seems like there's some more hot on the heels of that one. And so our, as we're getting this going, we're already making plans for at least the next one or next two. But one of the things God has called us to do is 14 plus locations throughout Georgia and the surrounding region. So one of the things, as we get closer to that, we'll have handout cards. Give it to someone you know in Marietta. Because one of the things we're gonna do, there's a specific strategy I use to minister here on Sunday mornings. The strategy and the style is gonna be different at 6 p.m. And that's gonna appeal to a different set of people. Still gonna be the Word, still gonna be the Holy Ghost, but it's a different strategy for a different area. Every place God calls us to open has a different strategy and style. And we follow the strategy of the Holy Ghost. So it'll look a little bit different. It's gonna be still the same Word, still the same the Holy Ghost, but the style will be different to do what God has called us to do there. And so that's gonna be January 5th at 6 p.m. We're gonna kick off on that date. And then I have certain dates, I'm looking at certain stats that if it meets that, then I'll announce later let next year when we go to every week there. So there's certain things that has to meet. There's certain days I'm looking at, certain stats and analysis, some of the statistics and analytical people, you get what I'm looking for. And so there's certain things I'm looking for, and when it meets that, then we'll expand even more. So we take a God idea and we walk it out in wisdom. Amen? So it's like, well, why are you breaking it down that way? Because some of you have God ideas, and I want you to walk it out in wisdom. Because some of you have God ideas like, yeah, this is a business God wants me to start, but he didn't tell you to quit your job. So there's a God idea, yes, but he didn't say to quit your job. Well, when I quit your job, when he says so, when it meets the different stats you know it needs to meet, so you walk in wisdom, amen? So that's that, I'll tell you more as we go forward. And then a few years ago, you know, I would have this thought every once in a while, I said, what would it look like if for one day we met together and just had a one day experience where 24 hours was the word and prayer, just for 24 hours? That was an idea I had. You know, I was looking at the logistics, and I tossed it around a few times, never followed through with it. Then a couple years ago, I was praying on a Saturday night, getting ready for the next experience, and I wrote down an idea God gave me. I said, well, that's a good idea. Well, one day, yeah, that'd be great. 
And then last year, I began to move closer to that idea. And then I took some more steps towards it to this year. And then, you know, at one point, I kind of like wanted to back up. I said, God, that's going to be a lot more work on me. <laughs> so, well, maybe I'll do it later. I think he checked my heart real quick. He's like, no, you need to do it now. So I began to take the first steps forward. And I'm announcing to you today that on January 1st, 2020, we're launching our own 24-7 television network. It's called Faith Plus. And so on day one, it'll be on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, your app, and the internet on day one. The website for it is faith.plus. It's live right now if you want to look at it, faith.plus. But for 24-7, I'm not going to preach those 24-7, so I began to reach out to some people. So on that network will be David Winston and Kylie Gatewood and Andre Butler and Michelle Ferguson and Paul Dottery and Aaron Hankins. And there's so many other people that says, hey, we're on board. Brandon Brim's going to be there. There's all these people. So there are people preaching the word all throughout the day strategically so we can stream faith to a generation. On top of that, you know, one of the things I realized about my generation, other generations here, a lot of people have trouble going to sleep at night. So instead of preaching the word from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., we've set up some anointed instrumental music that will help people go to sleep and minister to them while they sleep. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.